Thank you for listening to this sermon from Renaissance Church located in Montreal, Quebec. For more information about Renaissance Church, please visit our website, renaissancemtl.com. If you would like to know more about how you can partner up to see the gospel advance in Montreal, please send us an email at renaissance.mtl at gmail.com. ask you guys uh, a bit of a question to begin here. Um, w- wonder what you think, w- what do you think is in your control? Right? I'm, cu- I'm curious as to what we think uh, in our everyday lives that we have control over. Um, some of you guys might be familiar, there's a YouTube channel called Hot Ones. Um, and it's a show where the, the host, it interviews celebrities while they're eating spicy wings. You guys know of that? Yeah, some of you do. Yeah. Um, if you're not familiar, though, the idea is that each wing that the, the celebrity eats, it gets gradually spicier as the interview goes on. And it eventually gets to the point where uh, the guest's mouth is basically on fire while they're trying to answer these questions. And so it, it usually makes it for some pretty amusing uh, moments. Um, usually what is, is funny, though, is when the, the guest comes on and they kind of overestimate their ability to handle spice. And you really see them like struggling to get through this plate of 10 wings. Um, and just so you don't think like I'm here just to dunk on others, I'll tell you a bit of a story about myself as well. Um, so this Friday we had a, a members gathering at our place. If you were there, you will know that we had chili for dinner. And so I made the chili. And after I had finished making it, um, I tried it, and I was like, I feel like this is lacking something a little bit, right? Um, I thought maybe this, this is lacking a little bit of heat. Chili, for me, has a little bit of spice, and I thought it does not have enough. And it just so happened that a week ago Sunday uh, at church, I received some spicy peppers from Francois and Melody. And so I thought, let me add some of these peppers to the pot of chili, right? Um, I was careful, though. I've told you guys many times that I have ruined pots of stock and stuff for my family because I just add spice in and I don't really care. My family doesn't like spice that much. So I learned my lesson and I thought, hey, I'm going to try one of these peppers first. And, um, you know, I think I I typically like to think that I'm pretty good with spice. So what I did, the, the peppers were sliced, too, so it wasn't like a huge thing. So I just popped one in my mouth, chewed it, and swallowed it. And, and I spent about the next 30 minutes downing about six bottles of water. I'm not kidding. That's not exaggerating. Water and milk, just in, like, six. I'm not kidding. Um, and I was just, like, lying on the couch, just in pain. Everyone had gone to sleep, too, and so I was just, like, by myself, just like, oh, help me. <laughs> I think pe- people probably would have found it funny, but they were all sleeping, so they're lost, I guess. Um, Needless to say, I did not add these, these peppers to chili. If you were there, you probably like, it wasn't even spicy. And I was like, yeah, because I did not add those peppers. You're welcome. Um, but anyways, uh, those are just a, cu- a couple of examples of how we may overestimate our own abilities, right? We overestimate what we think that we have control over. And so all that to say, um, I mentioned that because today we're talking about pride in our lives. And we're talking about overestimating what we are in control of in our lives. And what we're going to see, uh, we're, we're going to see what Scripture has to say about this. And, and what we're going to see is that we often make plans without God 
because we overestimate how much we are actually in control. We think that we're in control, and so we don't often include God in our plans. And Scripture calls that pride and arrogance. And so what we're also going to look at is how we can align our lives with the will of God and what that looks like. Um, today we're, we're continuing in our series in the book of James. Uh, we've titled this series, Faith in a Broken World. And in this series, what we're looking at, we're, we're looking at how God calls us to have faith in difficult situations. So how do we live out our faith when it is tough, when things kind of seem impossible? And this book, it gives us two pictures for us, right? It gives us one. One is a, a picture of a sinful world full of trouble that we also often contribute to. And two, Practical ways to live out true faith in Jesus by the grace of God. So again, today we're going to be looking at the sin of pride, but how we can have faith in Jesus by pursuing his will. Uh, I'll begin by giving us a few main sections that we're going to explore from our text today. So we've got three main sections that I want us to see um, uh, as we look at at our passage for today. Um, Number one, human pride. Number one is human pride. Number two, God's sovereignty. God's sovereignty. And number three, we're going to look at aligning our lives with his will. Aligning our lives with his will. Uh, Let's read our text for today. Today we're going to be in James chapter 4. And we're going to read verses 13 to 17. That's James chapter 4, verses 13 to 17. Um, it'll be on the screen. If you want, uh, if you have a Bible, you can follow along as well. If you don't have a Bible, we have some in the back uh, table there as well. And you can just grab one and take that home. That's our gift to you. Here's what it says. It says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. It says, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it, as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Let's pray and, and we'll get into our sermon for today. God, again, we, we thank you for the, the privilege it is to, to be here together, gathered as your church. Um, we ask that we would have um, hearts to, to, to hear your word today preached and that we would just cherish what it is um, in your word. Um, God, we know that your word brings life, and so we ask that you would, um, you, you would empower us today uh, with your word. God, would we... Um, leave here loving you more, and would we just be empowered to, to love those in our lives and to, to, to obey your word and to, to seek your will in our lives. Praise in your name. Amen. All right. Uh, let's dive right in here. Looking at human pride to begin. So James, he begins by addressing certain people in the church who are making plans, right? He says, he says this, he says, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. And, and as we see throughout the rest of this passage, James, he finds issue with these people doing so, right? The rest of this passage addresses the fault that James finds with the plans that they're making. 
Um, the first thing I want us to take notice of is something that I wrestled with a lot during my studies this week. Uh, something that you may have noticed while reading it as well. And the question that I wrestled with is this. What is so wrong with what they're doing? Right? What is the problem with their plans? Right, let's, take, let's take a look here. Um, is it a problem to go into whatever town that they were going into? No, there seems to be no evidence that where they were going is an issue. Is there a problem with the duration of time that they plan to go? No, that doesn't seem like that would be an issue either. Is the problem with the activity that they want to engage in, that they would want to go there to trade? Again, this, this would be a common way uh, to make a living in that day. So it doesn't seem like that would be an issue either. Is there a problem that they want to go and to make a profit? Again, there would be nothing inherently wrong with making a wage for what they're doing. Perhaps then it is wrong that they're making plans at all, right? Maybe we should just take the day as it comes and not look ahead to the future. And again, I would say that would be a foolish way of, of living and it is not what James is getting at here. So what then is the issue? What is James really getting at here? Well, if, if we dig a, a little bit deeper, we see that the problem with the plan is that it is prideful. Right? It is prideful because it is presumptuous. It assumes that we are in control of our circumstances. Let's take a closer look at what the people were assuming control of. We're going to go through, through this verse just, just word for word here. Today or tomorrow. This assumes that we are in control of when we will do things. We have the power to do things whenever we want. It says we will go. This assumes that we are in control of who you will do things with. We will go. Into such and such a town. This assumes that we are in control of where we will do things. We can go wherever we want. And spend a year there. This assumes we are in control of how long we do things or the duration of time that we are going to do things. And then finally it says, and trade and make a profit. And this assumes that we are in control of the outcome of what we will do. We have control whether or not we will make money or not. The results are in our hands. And so this is what James is, is pushing back against. It's an attitude of we are in control. We will do whatever we want, when we want, for how long we want. And even if we don't explicitly state it, when we make plans like this, we are excluding God from them. And this is what James is saying here. He goes on to say, he says, yet you do, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Essentially saying, how, how do you know what will happen today or tomorrow? Right? He says, life is fleeting. We are only here for a short period of time and then it is gone. So to assume that we are in control is foolish. He later, he calls it arrogant to to boast in what we will do. In fact, he goes on to say that that boasting in, in what we do is evil. And so this passage has less to do with what the plans are and more to do with the attitude behind the plans. It's not so much what's within the plans, but what's missing. And we see here that God is missing from the plans. And I think that's worth reflecting on. When it comes to, to making plans, how do you involve God? Or is he more just of an afterthought? 
This is something that I certainly don't have all figured out yet. Um, I, I know that I can want to do things my way without consulting God, without looking to his will. Again, I want to emphasize, perhaps your plans are not overtly sinful, but it is prideful to think that we do not need to align our lives with the will of God. So first, what we see is human pride. Next thing that I want to see is God's sovereignty. James goes on to, to correct the church's attitude. In verse 15, he says this. He says, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and we will do this or that. So essentially saying, uh, instead of saying, we are going to do this and that whenever we want, with whoever we want, wherever we want, we ought to say, if God wills, we will live and we will do this or that. I want to spend a little bit of time focusing on this verse because what we see is two things here, right? We see the will of God for us to live and the will of God for what we do. The will of God for us to live and the will of God for what we do. And so let's look at how this plays itself out. What is God in control of and what are we are in control of and how is God sovereign in all of this? Um, this week I listened to, to a pastor named John Piper discussing this verse. And he describes two ways in which we will see the will of God. Right? Two different wills that God has. He calls them the will of decree and the will of command. These are something you don't need to remember these terms. But I think it is helpful to distinguish the two types of will that God has. So let's talk about them. Um, first, let's talk about the will of decree. Uh, John Piper de defines it as God's decision that something will certainly take place. God's decision that something certainly will take place. This is an effectual will. In other words, if God wills something, it will happen. So when James says, if the Lord lives, we will live, this is the will of decree. Your life is ultimately in the hands of God. If he wills to take you home, you will be taken home. Let's look at some other examples from Scripture. 1 Peter 3.17 says, It is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. So in this example, it may be God's will that we go through suffering. We read earlier in James that God may allow us to go through trials in order for them to produce steadfastness and that we may become more mature as believers. Right? God is, is completely sovereign over your suffering. And so if you suffer, it is because God has willed it to happen in your life for your good. Let's look at another example. Daniel 4.35. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? Here we see that God does what he wills within the spiritual realm and the earthly realm. There is no one that can stop what he has decreed to happen, right? He is sovereign over the spiritual realm and he is sovereign over the earthly realm. Similarly, in Job 42, it says, Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Again, in this case, what God wills cannot be stopped. It will come to pass as he wills. So it is clear that God has a will that if he decides something is going to happen, 
it will happen. As we see in James when he says, if the Lord wills, we will live. That is something that will happen as God wills it to. On the other hand, there is another will of God that does not always come to pass. Piper calls this the will of command. He describes this as God's expression to his creatures of what they ought to do. So God's expression to his creatures of what they ought to do. So God wills us to behave in a certain way. I think it's helpful to, to think of this in terms of commandments. So for example, it is God's will that we love one another that we do not lie, that we do not cheat or steal, that we care for the widow and the orphan. God wills that we do these things, and yet we often do not align our lives with God's will. Yet it is his will that they are done. And this takes nothing away from his sovereignty, as we are going to discuss. Even in our sinfulness, God works things out for his will. He is sovereign even when we go against his will. And so when we see James say, if the Lord wills, we will do this or that, he's not saying we will do this or that because God is going to make us do them. He's saying that what we ought to do is align our lives with God's will. We have the ability to do what God wants us to and to include him in our plans rather than to do things how we want and ignore his will. How do these work together? Um, a great example would be to look at the death of Jesus. Everyone should, should be familiar with the commandment, you shall not murder. Um, that is a command uh, of God. So it is the will of God that we do not kill another human being. And yet, what we see is that God's will was for his son to die. Isaiah 53 says, yet it is the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. So his will is that we do not murder and yet he uses the sin of man to accomplish his will. He uses human sin to accomplish the forgiveness of sins on the cross by Jesus. And God is completely sovereign over all things. What is the point here? The point is not that we have no control over our lives. The point is not that we have complete control over our lives. If God lives, we will live. Or if God wills, we will live. And if so, we ought to do this or that according to his will, not our own. So let's, like, let's take a look at what it means to align our lives with the will of God. So what is the will of God? Well, in one sense, we can know God's will from what we see in the Bible. Right? We can read our Bibles and see that there are clear commands of things to do and things not to do. And when we're obedient to this... This would be aligning our lives with God's will. So sharing the gospel, being a part of, of Christian community, taking care of widows and orphans. We know we are aligning our lives with his will when we obey his word. So you don't have to wonder, for example, should I have an affair with a guy or girl at work? Because the Bible is pretty clear that that would not be obedient to God's will. God does not will for us to sin. So we have clear directions from the Bible about how to align our lives with his will. In another sense, knowing God's specific will for our lives can often be confusing, right? How, how do I know what job to pursue? Or should I get married now or later or maybe not at all? 
Or if you are like my wife, what do I choose on the menu today? Um, we do not always know what God's will is for our lives, and so it can be confusing. But here's the thing. Like we see in this example in James, what we tend to do when we don't know is just make our plans by ourselves. Right? We don't include God. We just come up with plans. Our, our natural tendency is to make our plans without God. And this is what James is getting at. Regardless of, of whether we actually say our plans out loud or not, whether or not we are boasting out loud, when we do, do not include God in our plans, we have an arrogant attitude. One that says, I'm going to do things my way. I, I don't need God to establish my plans. And so with that image in our heads, um, I want to, to contrast that now with someone else. Someone, someone else who, who made it his plan to seek God's will in all that he did. And that someone is Jesus. And so if we look at, at scripture over and over, it tells us that Jesus came to live, not for his own will, but for the will of the Father. We can see this particularly in the Gospel of John. The, the first half of this book is littered with Jesus saying, I came not to do my own will, but to do the, the Father's will. And when we look at his life, that is exactly what he did. Right? Jesus was completely obedient to God's will. He always obeyed God the Father, unlike us. Jesus was never boastful in what he did, but, oh, excuse me, but always sought the will of God. We see this even to the point of, je of death. Uh, Jesus knew he was going to die. He knew he, was, he would take on the sins of the world on the cross. And so right before he is arrested, we see him wrestling with this in the Garden of Gethsemane. Right? Jesus takes his disciples there and he tells them to pray. And he himself goes away to pray. He goes to seek God's will. And the gospel records what he said. It says, and he, he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. So Jesus was obedient to the will of God to the point that he was willing to give up his life and take on the sins of the world. Because that was the, the Father's will, so that we could have our sins forgiven. That's what Jesus wrestled with before he died, is that is what is God's will, and how do I do it, no matter what it is? And that's what James is saying to us. Do you wrestle with God's will for your life? Is that something that, that you have in mind when you make your plans? Or is, is your attitude, I'm going to do this and do that, and we'll see where God fits in? Right? Because this is a tough question to ask ourselves. I'll be honest, again, I, I am nowhere near where I need to be with this. And so I'm saying this as much to myself as I am to anyone here. And so if you are here and this resonates with you, if you realize, yeah, I've been, I've been, uh, I haven't been including God in my plans. I've been arrogant. I do things first without seeking the will of God. If that is you here today, then I have good news for you. To that person, there are, are two things that I want to tell you. One, Jesus has done enough on your behalf. Where you have failed to seek God's will, where you have been arrogant in your plans, Jesus has not. And he offers forgiveness for those who put their faith in him and believe, uh, and be believe that his sacrifice on the cross was enough. Those who say, I have failed, 
but Jesus has not. And it's only through his works, not my own, that I'm accepted by God. God forgives. The second thing that I, that I would tell you is that as you put your faith in him, the more your life will look like his. In other words, faith produces life, lives that are aligned with God's will. It produces lives that are humble as opposed to arrogant. It produces lives that are watchful as opposed to presumptuous. And as we continue to put our faith in him, we are being transformed into the image that God has made us to be. So how do we do any of this? Right? How do we seek God's will for our lives? How do we align our lives with his will? Well, uh, let me give us uh, a few practical takeaways for how this can look like in your life. The first is through scripture. So as we talked about earlier, we can know the will of God from his word. And so reading your Bible is a good way to learn certain things about the will of God. Um, and if the Bible seems intimidating to you, maybe you're not sure how to read it or where to begin, I would invite you, get connected with a discipleship group. These, these are small groups that we have uh, during the week that are basically designed for us to explore the Bible deeper and how it applies to our lives. And it is a good way to, to walk alongside of others as you seek God's will in your life and as they seek God's will in their lives. Another way would be through prayer and through having a relationship with God. And if you remember, this is what we saw Jesus doing in the Garden of Gethsemane before his death. He was praying, wrestling with what God's will was for his life. Right? He said, God, if you are willing, I don't want to go through this. But whatever your will is, I will do it. Not my will, but yours, God. Let us seek God's will through prayer and a relationship with God. Uh, this is from Psalm 143. It is, it's David speaking to God. He says, teach me to do your will for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. I would encourage you to pray that this week or pray that whenever you're confused about God's will for your life. Prayerfully make your plans and watch how God is working his will in your life. Because when we go to God and seek his will in our plans, God works in our lives to make us humble instead of arrogant. And we will see our, li our lives align with his will. And then finally, how do we seek God's will in our lives? Make plans according to his will. Ask yourself, how am I honoring God in this? Right? And, and how am I honoring others in this? How am I being made back into the image that God made me to be? Jesus came to earth to accomplish God's plan of redemption, to, to be obedient to his plan. So how do we look more like Christ? By self-sacrificially serving others, by sharing the gospel and being obedient to God. Include these in your plans. Proverbs 16 says, Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. We're going to wrap up in, in just a minute. I want to close with this. Um, we've talked about the, the arrogance of making plans without God and, and boasting in, in our own abilities. Um, I want to share with you one more verse on boasting. This comes from 1 Corinthians 1. Starting in verse 26, it says, for consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. 
Not many were powerful, not many were of noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Now get this, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. We can boast in the Lord because he gives us the ability to do that, all, all that we do. It is not our power, so we have nothing to boast in of ourselves. But let us be people who boast about what God has done and is doing in our lives. Because his spirit lives inside those who put their faith in Jesus and empowers us to do all of this. Jesus is alive and working in those who put their faith in him. Because faith in Jesus produces lives that are aligned with God's will. Thank you for listening to the sermon from Renaissance Church. If you have any questions about the sermon or would like to know more, please feel free to contact us by email at renaissance.mtl.gmail.com or reach out to us on social media. It's our passion to love Jesus, love each other, and love our world.